The content presented in this podcast is solely for educational purposes and should not be used as medical advice to diagnose, manage, or treat any health conditions. If you or someone you know has a condition or disease discussed in this podcast, we would encourage you to create and implement a care plan specific to your needs under the supervision of an appropriately licensed healthcare professional. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of experts in the field of fetal medicine and should not be interpreted as the standard of care. Hey, Woom mates. Welcome back to the News Womb. This is Aaron Moise. And this is Ken Moise. And we're rounding the corner on finishing up. I think this is our last episode, yeah? Uh, we might do one more on future monoclonal therapy. We'll see. Okay. Well, maybe one of our last few, but we are kind of coming to an end. We're closing the chapter, getting there on alloimmunization and HDFN, even well, though it'll, it'll never be closed. No, we'll always come back. But this is just the end of one disease. True. We've got plenty more diseases. I to said alloimmunization. Oh, I got it. Okay. Everything. So other fetal medicine. Actually, pro- with that being said, mm-hmm. we do have. An Instagram, it's at Newswomb, and we have a Gmail. We're pretty sophisticated. I need to look up the Gmail real quick. It's newswombpodcast at gmail.com. So if you have suggestions, we think we we think we know our next topic, our kind of next series, so to speak. For but, what? but they can weigh in by sending us Yeah, an email. exactly. So if they oh, want to send cool. a direct message to our Newswoman account, um, which I manage because Dad has no idea what Instagram nope. is, um, or you can send it to the Newswoman podcast at gmail.com for suggestions on next topics. Right, or things you want to really hear about in, in fetal medicine. Yeah. Or even if there's maybe some um, debunking dramatizations. Right. Some episodes they want us to talk about or dissect from some of their favorite TV shows, medical drama TV shows. Sure. Okay. We'll do it. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about future pregnancies in the setting of alloimmunization and HDFN. So we have a couple kind of scenarios and questions that we've gotten from patients over the years, me in the last year, dad over many, many years of options for future pregnancies after you've been sensitized. So I feel like many patients are told don't ever get pregnant again by a provider or some of them feel a sense of sort of guilt and don't want to get pregnant again. Well, and I've even heard stories of providers telling patients they should consider terminating a pregnancy because their titers are so high. Right. If a patient decides not to go through another complicated alloimmunized pregnancy, what would you offer as options? Well, let's start out with a story. Of course. My wife always told me you I got a story for you, Ags. Teach you a story. So there's a particular patient uh, of mine, one of my favorite patients. I guess I can use her name, Bethany. We've, we've said her name on the podcast First before. Name, okay. <laughs> no, we've said I her mean, full she, name. <laughs> she decided to have five children. And if you listen... On the Alahope Foundation, you'll hear Bethany's story, but unfortunately, she lost her little girl in her third pregnancy and only had two little boys before that and said, I'm going to have some more babies. <laughs> and so despite a loss, she went on to have three more babies involving 
16, yes, that's the right number, 16 transfusions. I don't know how many plasmapheresis and how many doses of IVIG, but bottom line is she took home three more babies after her loss and completed her family of five children she always dreamed of having. So don't ever let a doc tell you, well, your titer's too high and just give it up. You're not going to have any more uh, babies. And I think Bethany's a perfect example of perseverance and knowledge and self-direction, and you can. Not usual, but you can. Now, there are a couple of other easier options. One would be adoption, right? Just decide to go on into the adoption world. Another would be surrogacy. That's where you would have IVF, your partner's sperm, your egg, in vitro fertilization, and place the embryo into a sister or another uh, surrogate carrier. And in that situation, because they don't have antibodies, your baby, remember, these are normal babies. They just have the wrong blood type. But that baby should um, be okay and not have any problems in the surrogate. So those are those are some options. Okay, and what about IVF and pre-implantation? So you've talked about that in the setting of surrogacy, but how could that apply to a mom that does decide she wants to carry another pregnancy? So first off, we have to make sure dad's heterozygous, right? So we have to do, we mentioned this before in our toolkit and other podcasts. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? You (laughs) have to do genotyping for RH or you'd have to do serology for other antigens like Kel. And determined dad to be heterozygous, right? That's a 50-50 chance of an affected baby. And only if dad's heterozygous would pre-implantation work. If he's homozygous, that's not going to work. You can't do that. So heterozygous dad confirmed. Then you go have IVF. And on about day three of those embryos growing, it's about the six to eight cell stage, they take out one blastomere. That's just one little cell and put it in a test tube and do DNA analysis on that to tell the blood type, usually just for the antigen involved, KL, D, whatever, and then only put back the embryos that are negative. So freeze the positive embryos because they're going to have problems if you put them back in mom who's aluminized, but the negative embryos are going to be unaffected. So only put back negative embryos. And technically, most of these women are pretty fertile, so they get a lot of eggs and a lot of embryos, and 50% should be negative and 50% should be positive. So that's pretty pretty good odds. There are rules about how many embryos to put back based on the maternal age and the quality of the embryos. But bottom line is you can put back negative embryos. Now, they're testing just one cell. So that's pretty tricky. And I think if you're going to uh, go on and carry that pregnancy, given that you've had problems in the past pregnancies, I would at least do free DNA testing to be sure that baby's in fact negative. So you don't lose a baby. I think that's key. Uh, but most of the pre-implantation work that's been done, I think I've seen one case of Cal reported, one case of D, not very common, but it can be done. Okay. And I saw this on the news the other day. There was a set of twin snowflake babies. Twin snowflakes. Snowflake babies. So they were 30-year-old frozen embryos. Oh, yeah. I think they were the record, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the record. And, so, and I think it was twins. And I, um, so can you tell us? What is a snowflake baby first? So these are, I used to call these popsicle babies. because they're Snowflake frozen. baby sounds way better than a popsicle baby. I know. Well, they're frozen. So these are embryos that are frozen uh, in time. These, I think these two held the record for being frozen. For the longest, yeah. Th- 30 years? Until they were yeah. implanted. So they can be kept a long time. So, but, but a snowflake baby really is a frozen embryo donated 
by someone else. So conceived by another partner, another woman. So say the last scenario just presented where you would freeze the positive embryos because you were looking for a negative. Yeah, those are their embryos. Yeah. Couples embryos. So then, these are donated. Right. So those, but those positive ones maybe don't have the antigen or antibody of another couple. So right. they, could, they could be their snowflake baby. Yeah, there the are whole banks of donor embryos that 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 are frozen that can be uh, adopted if you would by having one of those put into you so you could you could have a donor embryo but here's the deal most of those embryos although some of them have had pre-implantation genetics for down syndrome things like that almost none of them have had any kind of dna testing for blood type um so that that's that's the key and i'll tell you one really sad story of one of my cal patients she, after she lost a baby, after attempted transfusions, she had a pretty high titer. She went on to get a snowflake donor embryo. But of course, she didn't know the blood type of the embryo. She didn't know the blood type of the dad of the embryo. She assumed there was a 92% chance that dad was Kel negative, right? Well, guess what? She got a Kel positive donor embryo. Hmm. And... No one checked that pregnancy for that. No one did an amniocentesis. No one did a free DNA test. And that baby became extremely hydropic at 24 weeks, uh, had one attempted transfusion and ultimately delivered very prematurely. I think it survived. So when you're thinking about snowflake embryos and you're sensitized, I think you have to realize that those embryos are not tested for the blood type that you know you don't want to have in your embryo. Uh, and so you should do some additional testing or Sometimes you don't beat the odds, like my patient. Right, because once they're frozen, it's hard to do that testing. Is that correct? You know, I do get asked that question all the time. Can we unfreeze the embryo, yeah. which makes sense, right? Right. And test it and freeze it again. Yeah. You can't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't like no to freeze, go through multiple thaw no, cycles. There's no freeze thaw cycles that babies do well in. So okay. you get to thaw them once. You freeze them once, and you thaw them once. You can't do it twice. So. It's almost impossible to tell the blood type. Now, maybe if you knew the parents, but usually these are donated anonymously, and so right. you don't know the parents to get their blood type. I guess you could, if you knew the donor mom and donor dad, get them typed to see if the baby's, what the baby's blood type would be. But anyway, just, just a heads up on snowflake babies. Okay, and then what about donor insemination? So, right. so you fresh could, babies. Yep, you could have a fresh baby. You could, you know, mom could have a negative male donor, a sperm donor. And uh, in that situation, she would be, since mom's negative, she would be impregnated with a negative embryo. I I can tell you, I've offered that to quite a few couples throughout my career, and I haven't had anyone accept that. Hmm. I don't know if it's a guy thing, and they just don't want that baby to be not half theirs or what it is, but I just haven't had anybody accept that particular proposal. Okay, this is going back to just fetal testing in general. We've talked in the past about early genetic testing through cell-free DNA, which is just a blood test on mom, but we've also touched briefly on CVS versus amniocentesis. So how does CVS work in the setting of allo immunization, and what does that do for a mom that is sensitized? Well, we know that CVS is a no-no, right? It disrupts the placental barrier. So if the fetus turns out to be antigen positive, then mom's titers are going to go up, and that fetus is going to get even sicker. So here's a scenario. Suppose mom is severely aluminized to Kel, and her husband typically is going to be Kel heterozygous, right? 50-50 chance. 
And she says, okay, I can't go through transfusions again, but if I throw, roll the dice and half the time I get a Cal negative baby, I'm okay with that. I'll carry that pregnancy. But if I have a Cal positive baby, I don't think I'm going to keep that pregnancy. I'm going to terminate that pregnancy. Now, I've only had one patient do that. She chose to have a CVS to check the baby's blood type. And I warned her, I said, if you have the CVS and the baby's positive, then you're going to make your disease worse. And she said, I know, but I wouldn't carry that pregnancy. And lo and behold, the CVS came back showing the baby was Cal negative and she had an uneventful pregnancy. Not something I'd recommend. It's a crapshoot, really. I guess you could surplant CVS with free DNA, now that we have that. Mm -hmm. But you're still looking at saying, if it's a positive baby, do I just stop there and not continue the pregnancy? And that would be that patient's choice. Only again, if dad's heterozygous, would this work? Well, and I think we've also, in general, steered away from even broaching this subject very much just with recent legislative changes in the United States. But uh, that can make the decision a bit more complicated for certain scenarios. Yeah, like I said, I've only had this one patient and as luck would have it, she had a cal negative baby and continued. So this hasn't come up very often. Right. Thank goodness. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then what about future options that maybe there's some research and development on medical therapies, less invasive, anything there? I think one day we will look back on this whole idea of intrauterine transfusion as a pretty archaic way to take care of a disease. That is... Like using paperclips and x-ray to find a baby belly? Well, yeah. <laughs> the old Lily technique, right? But yeah. think about it. We're The baby's fine, right? The baby's right. normal. It's just the wrong blood type. And it's in a hostile environment. And so we give it blood to sort of limp along till we get the baby big enough to get out of mom's hostile environment. What if we could come up with a way to not have a hostile environment so that mom's got the antibody, but we figure out how to keep it from getting to the baby and know that there's some ongoing clinical trials to look at developing or they have developed an antibody and a type of antibody called a monoclonal antibody that can block the placenta, we think. So basically, we're going to unload the gun instead of just putting a bulletproof vest on the baby. Or maybe think about it as a bulletproof vest on the placenta. So we're going to keep it from crossing to the right. baby. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, we can protect the baby too. Because we're unloading vest. the gun. Right. So if this would work, and we're in very early studies in this, we would block the placenta, even though mom has lots of antibody, and keep the antibody from crossing to the baby. And the baby, because it's normal, should do just fine. Even if a little bit of the antibody crossed it probably can keep up with red cell production and survive with no transfusions. I think that's going to be the future in that we're going to treat this disease medically. We're going to look back on people like me who put needles in babies and go, wow, that was crazy. It's just like using paper clips for Dr. Liley. True. So I think there is a future here. And I'm hoping I'm part of that future before I retire that we get those studies done and we show this drug works. But uh, more, more to follow on that one for sure. Absolutely. Like we said earlier in the podcast, Instagram handle at Newswomb, Gmail account, newswombpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're from Seattle, will you please hit us up? Because we get our analytics statistics and Seattle is about to surpass our Austin listeners. Who are those people in Seattle? I want to know who you guys are. Come reach out. Let's be friends. Let's be roommates. Be roommates. Let's be roommates. Okay, Instagram roommates. Well, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, more to follow. See ya. Bye.